We have a number of uh, members that are out today with colds and other things. As far as I know, none of them have the virus, so we are thankful for that, and we pray that none of us have the virus or will get the virus in the future. Um, Just about all of my family are in their homes secluded because of other forms of sickness, and others are out because of their age. They have encouraged if you're over 60. Of course, I'm over 60, but I don't feel over 60. I feel younger, (laughs) so that's one reason I'm here. Um, But we want to be cautious. We are thankful for Micah coming up and playing the piano for us and others that are filling in for people today. How we thank you for leading our music, even though I got off on the wrong verse in that last hymn we sang. You stayed, you stayed firm and didn't follow me. Finally, I caught up with you. But we do want to be mindful of these things as we go to the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Father, we come to you with thankful hearts that you are our God, that you are a sovereign God who watches over his children, that you guide us and direct us, and we thank you for that wonderful truth, that you protect us, that you have graciously had mercy upon us and saved us from our sins. Thank you, Father, for such a great salvation that we have in Christ and Christ alone. And we gather this day to praise Thee, to worship Thee, because You have created us for the very purpose of worshiping You. And we thank You, Father, that we can gather corporately one day out of the week to do such. And we pray, Father, for those who are unable to be with us today. You know their needs, and we pray that You would minister to their needs. We do pray, Father, that You would keep us safe that you would keep us from illness. We know that there are members in our church that are more susceptible than others, and we pray especially for the elderly, Father. We pray also for Reese in situations similar to his, not only in our church but elsewhere, Father. We know that you are a great God, that you are able to protect and keep us from such illnesses, and we ask that you would be merciful and gracious in doing so. We come to you, Father, knowing that you are even in control of the virus. And we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to bring it to an end quickly. We know, Father, that you have a purpose in all things and that you have a purpose even in this virus. And we pray, Father, that you would bring glory and honor to yourself through this. We continue to pray, Father, as the gospel is preached throughout the world today that many sinners would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and that your children would grow in sanctification and become more like Christ. Keep utmost in our mind, Father, the reason you have created us for your glory is to bring honor and glory to your name, and we pray that we would be faithful in doing such. And we do pray, Father, that you would meet with us in a special way this day as your Spirit works in our midst, to bring about your purpose and honor to your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. The passage that we read this morning for our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 45, one verse that I want to read out of that passage, I formed the light and created darkness. I make peace 
and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Verse 7. This morning at 4.30, I changed my message. We were going to continue to go through Mark and begin chapter 13, but it was upon my mind to deal with the situation that is at hand. We could say the elephant in the room, I guess you would say, the coronavirus, and I thought it would be good to remind us of some truths, some that I have been reading this week over the internet and led me to this sermon. It's clear that the coronavirus is deadly, that it is serious, and that it's caused a global pandemic, and all necessary precautions should be taken. I believe we as a church have sought to do that. We as a church have tried to use common sense, and I pray that we would continue to use common sense. I have read that this is not the first time this kind of virus has shown up. Some of the things that we do not know sometimes are good because if we meditated and thought about them all the time, we would probably be in a state of mind of fear. There are actually 69 viruses of this species. Now, don't get too upset because only seven of those can affect humans. The rest of the viruses contacted by animals. Now, this virus has spread, that is, the coronavirus has spread to 115 nations at my last reading, and I read that, matter of fact, this morning. Uh, If any others have been added, I guess it's been added since 4.30 this morning. Also, I read this morning that there are 158,313 cases reported as far as all of these countries. That includes 75,954 patients who have fully recovered, and we're thankful for that. And there's about 76,513 cases considered what we would say active and then 5,846 people who have actually died from this. And the majority of those who have actually died have been elderly. Then there are 5,649 serious cases. Now, of course, as you've probably read, as I have, that is a very, very small number compared to other diseases that people have and other things. So this is a virus that we are talking about. And we have to continue to remind ourselves the seriousness of a virus. Now, of the active cases, 89% seem to have very minor conditions. Now, we know that the worst case scenario is China, 80,000. 849 people had the virus or have the virus still. The second is Italy, which has 21,157. And then we are in eighth place with 3,345 
cases reported and 60 deaths. Now, we know that 30 of those deaths were in Washington State and were in a senior care facility. So how do we compare at this point with other viruses throughout history? Well, it's difficult because we're in the middle of this. And we know that it is a very contagious virus. Now, no doubt, social media has had a tremendous impact on this virus. Anyone is able to get information, and there's true information as well as false information that has spread. It was interesting, one article that I read in Gospel Coalition pertaining to this virus, he used an illustration by C.S. Lewis, which was written 72 years ago, which rings with some relevance. I'll read this particular article to you. And in that article, C.S. Lewis used the atomic bomb. We will use coronavirus. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the coronavirus. How are we to live in the age of coronavirus? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you have lived in the 16th century when you were plagued with visits in London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders and Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, and indeed as you are already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of parasites, an age of air raids, an age of railroad accidents, and an age of motor accidents. He continues, In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or ma'am, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in an unpleasant way. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetists, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of pain and premature death to the world, which is already blistered with such cases, which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the one point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by the coronavirus, Let it be when we find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and game of dark, no huddled together like frightened lambs and thinking about the coronavirus. They may break our body, but it need not dominate our mind. Now, no doubt there is a difference between the atomic bomb and the coronavirus, but this is the point. 
we must realize that death is always one breath away. And we have a tendency to forget that. Billions of people have died in different ways. Some in accidents, some by a virus, others by other medical needs. But what we have to continue to remember is that we will all one day die. We do not know whether to be tomorrow, next year, 10 years, 20 years from now, but all of us will die. That is a certainty. And when death comes, we should be seeking to live a life in fulfilling what God called us to do. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're to be foolish. We are to be wise. We are to have common sense. When Martin Luther was dealing with the Black Plague, Death Plague, he wrote, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. When I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to be, not be contaminated and thus infected or polluted or pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor seeks me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash or foolhardy and does not tempt God. Now, how are we as Christians to respond to this crisis? And it is a crisis. Well, the answer with faith, not fear. We are to ask, Lord, what are you wanting me to learn through this? Because he would have all of us learn something through this. How are you seeking to change me as well as others through this? So I want to state this morning some of the things that we need to learn, or I could say relearn as a result of this virus. First, who are we? Well, we are weak and fragile human beings created in God's image for His glory. Now, the global crisis should teach all human beings just how weak they are. It should humble man. The world is doing its best to contain this virus. China did its best to contain contained this virus, but it spread throughout the borders into, as I already mentioned, 115 countries. Flights have been canceled. Businesses have shut down. Schools have been shut down. Government buildings, even churches have been closed because of this virus. Man is doing everything in his power to stop this virus. But we must admit that in one sense, man is helpless. Only God is able to stop this virus. But most are confident that it will eventually stop. 
but what will be the outcome? Could such a virus bring our total distinction? Nope. We know that. Why? Because we know that God has stated in His Word that it's not going to end, the world is not going to end with some kind of virus. We know that. And we could take great confidence in that. Now again, on the other hand, that's not saying that a lot of people might die from this. A lot of people have died from many different viruses and diseases. And we have to keep that in mind. But during such times, we are to remind ourselves how weak and how fragile we are. Psalms 103, 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembered no more. And we have to keep that in our mind, that we are like grass. We fade away just as the flowers of the field. How does this lesson of our frailty hit home? Well, it reminds us to not take our life on this earth for granted. Psalms ninety twelve says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now we know God has our days numbered. We will live until that day comes up. Do we know when that day is? No, we don't know when that day is. Only God knows when that day is. He has it numbered and there's nothing we can do to prevent that day from coming and there's nothing that we can do to go past that day that He has numbered. Now again, that doesn't mean that we ought to be foolish. My good friend Frank Fortenberry that has gone to glory used to always say, well, I don't need to wear my seatbelt. Because if it's my time, it's my time. I said, yeah, but you might be foolish enough not to wear your seatbelt and you might be crippled the rest of your life because you didn't wear your seatbelt. He said, well, one time I wore my seatbelt. I didn't wear my seatbelt. And if I'd wore it, I'd been killed. I said, well, that is not the, that is not the norm. That is a rare case. Most people who do not wear their seatbelt are killed. The Lord was gracious and merciful to you. So we have to be wise. We must not be foolish. We must realize that we are human, frail human individuals. Second, man is not in control. Proverbs 19, 21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, Lord counsel, that will stand. And we know that God's counsel will stand. Nobody can change his counsel. Now, of course, we love to try to be in control, not only of ourselves, but in control of others. We like to be the captain of our destiny. We like to be the one who is master over all that we do. And in reality today, we have more control than ever before. I mean, we control everything in our house, don't we? A lot of times, even by our little phone. We can control our house when we're at church with our phone nowadays. Now, I don't know how to do that, but I know Richard Jackson probably knows how to do that, or someone else in here knows how to do it. But you can control everything. Some people can sit in here, and they can crank their car up from within here. We have great control over all sort of things because of the devices that we have. We have money to be able to buy certain things that give us control. And as a result of that, we think that we are the master of all things. But we have to realize that we don't control all things. 
I mean, there's even those who brag about being able to control their body through training and medicine and exercise. But perhaps this sense of control is a bubble that the coronavirus is about to pop. The reality that we are not really in control is being revealed to us. We don't like everything that is happening. We are not controlling the things that are happening. I mean, how many of you like that the NCAA is not going to have a basketball tournament this year? I'm not a big fan of basketball, so it doesn't bother me a whole lot. Now, when you get to baseball, I'm a little bit upset about that. I mean, here the Ole Miss Rebels were at 16-1 and going into their best season, and what happens? They cancel the season. Of course, my dear friend, Kerry Kimbrell, said, well, y'all were about to play LSU this coming weekend. Insinuating, of course, that we weren't going to be 16-1 and anymore. But what I'm saying here, with everything closing, everything being canceled, we realize that we can't control that. We can get mad, we can get upset, but we can't change it. Others are in control of that. We may be armed with disinfectant spray and sanitizer, even have a mask. We try to lower the risk of being infected. There's nothing wrong with those things. But again, we still are not in control of the situation. We know that only God can keep us well. That only God can keep us alive. I remember reading a number of months ago, I can't remember if it was in a devotion or something else, but I remember reading about two pastors there in one of the plagues there in Europe, and one of the pastors, he decided that he was going to stay in the parsonage. He was not going to go out among his members and minister to them because of the plague and the fear that he may contact it. And he thought to himself, I will not do my members any good if I get the plague and I die. And then there was another pastor at the same time who went among his members and he ministered to his members. He took care of his members. He buried his members and did all that he could as a pastor of his flock. The pastor that chose to stay indoor ended up getting the plague and died. The other pastor lived. Now why? Well, again, we have to give God all the credit. The pastor was not being foolish in ministering to his members. He saw his duty as a pastor, and he fulfilled that duty. I read where Charles Spurgeon did the same thing there in one of the plagues. And God protected him and watched over him as he sought to carry out his responsibilities as a pastor. So man is not in control. We look to God to control the things that we are confronted with, and even things such as a virus. Third, the difference between fear and faith. What's your reaction to this crisis is it so it is so easy to be gripped by fear especially when we are bombarded by the news and by social media and all these things that people tell us pertaining to that first we have to put it in proper perspective and not go crazy i mean Yes, we have to do all that we can to protect ourselves, but yet we can become overexcited about things such as this. 
thinking that everything that we touch, oh, I'm not going to touch the podium this morning because it may contain, well, nobody's been up here as far as I know to touch the podium that might have transmitted it to the podium or, or the pews or here. But we've tried to do everything that we can to disinfect if there was that particular situation. But yet we can be overcome with that and actually panic as a result of that thinking that I must huddle up in my house and be all by myself, fearful of anyone or anything. Now, perhaps this crisis is challenging us to react a different way from how the world reacts, with faith and not fear. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, who is always the resurrection and the life. Surely only Jesus is in control of the situation and surely only He can guide us through this storm. And He calls us us to trust and believe, to have faith and not fear. Corey Ten Boom, along with other faithful from among the nation, led courageously in the face of Nazism, And they themselves stood strong. Now that's a different form of a deadly virus. And she reminds us in saying these words, Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties tomorrow of its strength. So that's all that worry does. It empties us of our strength. This was one of the main emphasis that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, there in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, when he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what your body, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the fields, which today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. What wonderful words that our Lord gives us pertaining to worrying in times of crisis. This world needs steady people. This world needs to see Christians trusting and believing in the Lord and strengthened by grace. 
and selfish by God's power. Worry accomplishes nothing except weakness of heart and head. It's been said that 90% of the things we worry or become panicked about never happen. And the other 10% are outside of our control anyway. So keep that in mind. That 90% of the time it never happens to us. And then the other 10% it's out of our control. Fourth, our need of God and our need to pray. There are those praying now who have never prayed before. Just like on 9-11. Any time a crisis comes, people begin to pray. Now the question is, did God hear their prayer? But Jesus Christ is not their Lord and Savior. God is not obligated to hear their prayer or answer their prayer because our prayers go through Christ who is the mediator. And if Jesus Christ is not their mediator, then why would they even think that God would hear their prayer? Their prayer needs to be to cry out to God for salvation. But there is something that we can do. As Christians, we are to call upon God our Father in heaven to hear our prayers. We are to pray for our authorities. Those who run our country from the president downward. We are to pray that he would guide them. That he would direct them. That he would give them wisdom to lead our country and do all that they can in using medical teams to be able to come up with a cure for this virus and to be able to put this virus to death. We need to pray for men and women and children who have been infected by this virus. For the people who are afraid to leave their homes. For those who live in a red zone. Those who live in a high-risk area, especially in the nursing homes and the elderly. We are to pray that the Lord would protect us and keep us and guide us and give us wisdom. We are to pray to Him that He might show us mercies during such a time and that God might use this time to bring about an awakening. That God would get people's attention so that they might see that they are sinful creatures in need of a Savior. And that we might use this opportunity to pray for those that we know that are lost. And pray that God would open up the opportunity that we might be able to speak to them the truth of salvation. And their need to flee to Christ in the day of salvation. Remind yourself continuously. That it takes the same energy to worry as it does to pray. If God calls us to worry about anything, it's how to love people. How to share the gospel with people. We should be more worried about not doing that than about this virus. The psalmist encourages us when he says in Psalms 37.3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the house and befriend faithfulness. Peter reminds us to press on in the midst of every evil, whether persecution or a panadamic. We can trust in the Lord, knowing, as Peter says in 1 Peter three seventeen, it is better to suffer for doing good 
if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then fifthly, the vanity that we have today. Ecclesiastes 1-2, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's so easy in this world to lose perspective in the middle of such madness. Our days are filled with work and wish lists and projects and holidays. And we can struggle to distinguish between that which is important and that which is urgent, between that which is unimportant and non-urgent. It's easy to lose ourselves in the midst of our lives and forget God and our calling. It's things such as this that reminds us of who God is and why God has created us. Perhaps this crisis is showing us what is really important in life. Maybe it's teaching us what is vanity in this world. I hope it reminds us what we should be concerned about as far as life is concerned, that we distinguish between what is meaningful and meaningless. Maybe the coronavirus is teaching us what really matters in life. And then sixthly, our hope. The most important question is not, what hope do you have in the face of the coronavirus? Because Jesus came to warn us of something much worse. And that is eternal death. Judgment that is coming. Now, what is your hope in the face of that, of this virus? The story of the Bible is the story of God. Redemptive history is how we call it. God came as man. He entered into this world as the God-man. He came into a world that was infected with the virus of sin. Everybody watching a bird or something? Oh, okay. Everybody want to see it? Everybody sees it? (laughs) Okay. So he came into this world as as the God-man into a world that is filled with sin and he dwelt among sinful men. He lived among sick people. And he did not wear some chemical protective suit that would keep him from sin because he was the sinless God. He didn't need one. He breathed the same air that man breathed. He ate the same food. He dwelt with man and the virus of sin did not infect him. He came to take away that virus, to cleanse man from that virus. He died on the cross in isolation. Those his own did not know him. He seemed very far from the Father there on the cross to where he even said, My Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? 
All that he did was to provide a sin-sick world with an antidote. An antidote to that virus of sin. He came to heal the world. He came to give us eternal life. He said to the woman at the well, I am the resurrection, the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he died. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? We have to ask the same question. Do we believe this? If God chooses to take our life through a virus, do we believe that He has saved us? Do we believe that He has given us new life? Do we believe that we have eternal life in Christ because He's done this work of salvation, that He has set us free from sin, that He has cured us of this virus? Do we believe? Can we answer that question? Do we believe to the point to where we trust Him with everything? Do we believe that He not only saves us from this sin, but He has saved us so that we can put our trust and hope in Him and not worry about such things? Not be fearful about such things. Now, I'm not saying that He might not choose to take our life through some virus, but the thing about it, if He chooses to take our life... through such virus, we have confidence that we will be with Him when we leave this world. Now we know, of course, that death is our enemy, but we know what's on the other side of death, and that's to be with Him. And He's promised us, He said, I go there to prepare you a mansion. Now we cannot comprehend what heaven is like. We've given a little bit of description in, in Scripture what heaven is like. But it is so glorious, it's so magnificent that, that we cannot comprehend it. But yet Jesus has told us that if we are in Him, if we are in Christ, then we have heaven as our hope of glory. So in other words, what I'm saying, then what is there to fear? Again, death is our enemy. But yet, what is there to fear? Because we know that if death does come, then we are with Christ. Now, of course, God has put within all of us a desire to live. But yet also, there's a longing because of our salvation to be with Christ, to leave this world and be with Him forever and ever. But at the same time, we also have the hope of glory and know that He has saved us for a purpose and that is that we would remain here on this earth and do that which He has ordained for us to do and that is spreading the gospel to others, telling them that Christ is able to save them from this virus, this virus of sin. So when we come in contact with people over the next few weeks or months or however long it is and we begin to talk about this virus, why don't you look for the opportunity to say, you know, I want to talk about another virus. A virus that's more deadly than the coronavirus. Because the coronavirus cannot send you to an everlasting hell, but this virus can send you to an everlasting hell if you do not come to know Jesus Christ and you are not relieved from this particular virus and you have not been set free, then you will spend eternity separated from God even though you don't derive from the coronavirus, you will die of that virus. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to share the gospel during this time of madness. During this time when so many people are fearful 
of what could happen to them and what is pressed upon their mind is life and death at this time. So let us be faithful to use this occasion which God has brought about as we read earlier there in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 7 when he says there, I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is no accident. Before the world was created, in all eternity, God ordained all things. And this is one of the things that God ordained that would take place in the year 2020. God is in control. And that's where our great hope is. And God will use this to bring glory and honor to his name. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this day that you are our God and that you are a sovereign God in control of all things. And we know, Father, that you are able to bring glory and honor to your name through even these bad providences. And we pray, Father, that we would not be people of fear, but, Father, that we would be people that trust in you and know that our hope is in Jesus Christ, that we would be people that have looked to Christ and that we know that whatever happens to this body, that we will be with him forever and ever in glory. Calls us, Father, to be faithful to the task that you have given us as your children, to be your witnesses, and to go into the nations and share the gospel with those who need Christ as Lord and Savior, and press upon them that he is able to give them the cure from the virus of sin. We thank you, Father for such a great salvation that is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And it's in his name that we pray and for his glory. Amen.